and welcome to episode four of Second World Problems. Once again, you are joined by myself, uh, Morgan, and the host of this show, Finley. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? Um, hello from far away. Yes. Today, we cannot uh, be inside the same room. First episode apart, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I reckon we'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, probably probably good. We need to do the world a favor by not meeting in person. Yes. We are saving the world right now. We are. And we're building it too. Well, talking about it anyway. Talking about a world that was built. That was built um, quite thoroughly. Today we are doing um, Shades of Magic. It's a book series by V.E. Schwab. It also has a prequel graphic novel that I've only just started reading, so it's not included in this episode but it looks well i've from the four pages i've read so far it's pretty damn good oh, fair enough <laughs> that can um, be a an, an addendum and added read an extra reading yeah if you i mean i just i've been really getting into graphic novels recently so anyway moving on <laughs> from that um this week i am here for holland and anyone who's read that book series may disagree with me but I, I, I realize he's a bad guy and he's also kind of the villain for some of it. Um, <laughs> but I love that in the third book he gets kind of starky and he gets kind of good. Um, and I, lo- I just, I love his whole, his whole thing, his entire aesthetic. I, I'm into it. And just love, his vibe. Just, uh, he's, I love Holland's vibe. It is for me. And I can't lie. I love characters who could be played by either Matteo Matari, um, or Francois Arnaud, or Killian Murphy, Murphy, which I threw in for you. I do love so Killian Murphy. I'm not sure about the other two, but I love. There's some links to them Murphy. so you can see their faces. It's just for you, not for our audience. But you get the <laughs> idea of what what I'm going for if you have a look at those photos. Um, yeah. Oh, very just, nice. Yep, yeah, I, I see. I see the vibe. Yeah, vibe, right? Oh, I think I've seen Francois Arnaud in something before. Borges. Ah. But yes, I know exactly period, what you're talking about. They're all period actors, which um is important for the setting of the story, actually. But they're all kind of they're all kind of you know cool, but broody, but kind of sexy, but also kind of <laughs> evil looking. They all have very sharp faces. Yes, and like that that dark, curly, luscious hair. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So you're learning a lot about me this episode, but I also <laughs> love a redemption arc, which he he does kind of get. And you've seen you. Everyone's heard by this point my um rant on Zuko in the first episode. See that again to know my opinions on how much I love a redemption arc. But that's why I'm here for Holland, and you can fight me on it. Um, and I will I'm good. fight you. I don't need to fight you. I don't. I don't know enough about the book series to fight you on it. Yeah, you should probably reread it. Um, I just finished rereading the first one, uh, but it. I didn't get to the second and third because it didn't arrive in time. I think I lent the first book to a friend and never got it back, but I couldn't find it, so I had to reorder it from Apple. If, if you are listening, friend, damn you. Yeah. Give it back. Give it, Well, don't anymore. I bought a new one. <laughs> I don't need two. Um, keep it, but keep it. we hate you. And cherish it and love it. <laughs> um, Holland's the best. All right. So going into the actual meat of the episode, the world um, this story is set in isn't really a singular world. It's set across four layered worlds, all the main part of which is all called London. So there's four Londons 
and they're sort of stacked on top of each other. Uh, we might get into it a bit later, but yeah, four Londons. Think of like a London pancake. It's a lot of Londons. That's a lot of Londons. That's what we've got. Like one London on its own is a lot of London. And now there's four. Yeah, um, our canonical London does exist in this one, and it it's still kind of shitty. Like it's as <laughs> shitty as it is here. Like it's there's no lying. It's not. It's still bad. It still rains. It's still grey and foggy. It still kind of sucks. <sighs> Great. That said, the other Londons, you know, sliding scale of better and worse. All right. So the invention, um, for the first time, I'm going to say it's medium. I realized that I was giving everything sort of high invention and I should probably change that. But also, um, this is a good one to introduce the idea of medium (laughs) because it's sort of mixing like high and low fantasy because it's sort of, it has sort of like a feel of urban fantasy because we know what our London is like. So the use of the parallel Londons with like different versions of London and worlds that are attached to them means that it's sort of closer to something we can understand so the invention isn't as that as high because we're not having to construct a whole new understanding of anything because our london still exists it's just the other londons that are new so medium and it also has a historical pastiche um that is more commonly associated with lower urban fantasy um and or steam steampunk as opposed to epic fantasy so the normal historical pastiche for like epic fantasy is medieval i think tolkien this is um a 17th century london or is it 19th i can't remember if they slide up or down but it's in like the the 1800s london so love it or across all the londons they're still participating in the same pastiche so it's still that's something we know about um and we can imagine what people are wearing because we can go look at a photo and that's what they're wearing. So, as I said, it's not not inventive. It's just not creating everything. It's taking what we already know and then expanding it into other worlds. That's why it's medium. Sounds, yeah, makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As for completeness, uh, we do see a lot of the Londons across the three books. And then again, also in the prequel graphic novel, we see a bit more of um, one of the main, one of the main settings of London, a lot more of their world. Um, So there's a lot going on and there's a lot being explored. Um, Black London, which we don't see a lot of, is less explored as is white London. And we'll get into the color coding very soon. we don't really get to see as much of those. It's more grey London and even more so red London. That's the main setting. So I don't really feel like there's a lot left beneath the surface. I mean, you can always go digging for stuff in any fantasy world. There's always going to be something to find. But um, as a chronic reader of books that I really enjoy, I think it's just as satisfying for this series to just return to the books and read them again. And I don't need more than what they give me. Um, I think it gives like a satisfying completeness without needing to go. Like you don't need to turn to necessarily fan fiction or you don't like you don't need a TV show or a video game to make, to extend the world and make it keep exploring it. You can just have the books and it's it's a very, that's good. Like it's cool when you can expand on a world with a TV show, but like if it's all there already in the original text, like that's Mm. what you want. I mean, hundred percent, they've probably got a movie or movie rights out for this series, but like 
it's one of those things um and I imagine everyone who's ever loved a book series will feel the same that um, I'd rather they not touch it unless it's going to be good <laughs> yes you hear a lot of that these days yeah People are very protective. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so good. It deserves to be fully realized. And if they can't do that, then what's the point? Um, in terms of consistency, uh, I, I also realized while I was writing this episode that they're, I say that they're, you know, consistent a lot, but generally that's because anything with good world building is. Um, and we have yet to cover anything with bad world building. But also anything that involves, any fantasy that involves magic and because it is magic and not science and technology, it's never going to have mechanics which can fully explain it. So it's never going to be, you're never going to read a book with magic in it and go like, oh, I know exactly how it works. You're going to be like, I guess that makes sense, sort of. Um, which doesn't mean that the world isn't plausible and feasible and without contradiction, which is what consistency is based on. It just means that there's going to be rules that are explained and then there's just going to be shit that you don't know and we'll never know. And you're going to just have to live with that. Um, so because any, because it involves magic, um, it is consistent, but it also has the element of it's not going to be able to explain it to you. It's yeah. going to explain as much as it can, but there's always going to be something that you're like, I guess, yeah, about I think- it. Magic always has an element of inconsistency because the person writing is always like, oh, here's a brief uh, explanation. And then everything else that happens is just like, you're like, I guess that is what happens in this world. Like it could be completely inconsistent what they said at the start, but you just assume there is something that explains it in that world. Exactly. And the thing about devising a system of magic is that unless you want to dedicate your entire life to it, you're probably not going to be able to make it shoehorn it into a way that makes it always make sense it's just inherently magical it's not science so you can't explain it via a formula so that's just something i wanted to bring up um it's always going to add an element of leniency to the consistency of any world because it can't fully be captured in rules um although we might try so i think bumper stickers said it best when they said magic happens Right, exactly. That is ex- <laughs> just happens. That is exactly the point. Um, so yeah, there is magic in this story, and you know it seems reasonably consistent. Um, the world seems reasonably consistent. It's just there's always going to be something that's beyond us um, when it comes to magic. So I just thought I'd point that out rather than just saying you know it's consistent because it is. Um, and then we get into structural. We start breaking down. Um, this one has a lot. So enjoy. Because there's four Londons and London is already a lot. Yes. Grey London actually doesn't feature much. Um, So, yeah, okay. Getting into nature, so settings and rules. Um, Grey London is historical our London. Um, So it's set around um, 1819, 1820. There is an actual timeline for the story, but um, I can't remember where I've put it. So we'll come back to that later. But historical our London, our world. There's Red London which is in the continent of Arns, and then there's Vesk and Faro beyond them, but we don't really see them in the books as much. They're just mentioned. Um, They tend to come in in the second book. There's White London or Macht, and then there's Black London, which was destroyed by magic. There is also a fixed point in all three books, which is a tavern, 
um, and that tavern stands in all three worlds at exactly the same place. That's the only thing that doesn't change between the three worlds that matter. So there are four Londons, but three worlds because Black London is destroyed. The sort of premise, or at least the, the main thing that encourages everything else to happen in the book, is that only certain people can move between the Londons. It used to be everyone could do it, but now there's only Antari or blood magicians who have the power to do it, and they need a token to go between them. Um, in the book, Kel is the main Antari that we sort of follow, um, or he's the main hero, I suppose. There's a couple of different protagonists, but he's the main one. Um, and he says only those who could move among the Londons need a way to keep them straight, so that's why he called them uh, grey red, white, and everyone called it black. So he was inspired by Black London to give them each a colour. So grey for the magical city, red for the healthy empire, and white for the starving world. Um, these contained Londons are also said to have a specific smell associated with them, which I just thought is a bit weird. Interesting. <laughs> um, so according to Kel, grey London smells of smoke, um, white London of blood, and Red London, according to basically everyone else, says it smells of flowers. What flowers is sort of up to them. They all smell different ones. But all that, all the magic that's in Red London. Um, all that magic. All that magic. It makes everything, I guess, smell of flowers. <laughs> um, and Kel also sort of smells of flowers. So Antares have magical signatures um, that are also described in terms of smell. So... Kel, as I said, is obviously flowers because he comes from Red London and it seems like a fairly pervasive scent. It follows him wherever he goes. And according to another character, he also smells of smelling grassy and clean. Whereas Holland, um, his nemesis, I guess, oh, I'm not sure Holland would use that word, but Kel probably would. Holland's is described as heated steel and ash. He's from, he's the white London Antari, so he's from the, the rough and tumble place. Nice. All right. So there are some rules for magic in this. Um, in order to travel between Londons, an, an Antari must use a combination of blood magic and a token in order to get through the doors of each world. Antari are generally distinguished by, by having one normal eye, so Kel's normal eye is blue, and then one fully black eye, as in Straight up black, like no no difference between the iris and, and the white. It's all black. Interesting. They can manipulate the element of blood, which other magicians can't, and therefore use it to travel, which others also can't. And this sort of conception, I want to I say this world, but it's like four worlds stacked on top of each other. So like in this pancake, black magic the idea of black magic, which we would know as like magic that is bad, um, and in this is magic that is bad, unrestrained, and also sometimes sentient and hungry, is actually black. I just thought that's cool. Like they're taking like taking the idea of black magic, which we would think of as just bad, and making it actually black. So like Kel explains that red is the color of magic and balance because of its connection to blood, um, and then black is the color of magic without balance, without order, without restraint which is why the Antari have one black eye. Um, also the idea of black London, so magic got out of control and destroyed it. Um, also, if you're using bad magic, your veins start turning black as well. Ooh. 
It's pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> Antari generally serve or are enslaved in the case of Holland to the rulers of the London that they come from and they carry mass messages between the rulers and sort of serve a diplomatic function while also being extremely lethal magicians um, that are very hard to kill. So the rulers tend to find Antari and then keep them as assets under their control, which causes it. It's sort of like a dramatic thing in the story. Like it's an opening for family drama in the story, whether or not Kel, who is an Antari, is in the royal family because he's an Antari, which is what he thinks, or because they actually like, like they adopted him as a child. So it's like, is he a prince? Is he an Antari? And the answer is Antari, but like the parents are trying. It's just very dramatic. <laughs> Sounds like a very uh, daytime TV plot there. Yeah, it is. Um, it's only a subplot, though, so it's not that important. It's just, like, yeah, interesting. It's just all the things that go into the story are so good. Um, you're in travelling between the worlds, the worlds uh, line up, I suppose. So, like, where you exit in one world is where you enter in another. So if you're trying to get somewhere... It's best to get as close to that place in your world as possible before then crossing over. You're going to cross over into like a different place because the worlds are different, but like the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. In order to travel between two places within a single world, you need to have symbols drawn in both places in blood. Whereas if you're just going to another world, you need just need blood in a token. Uh the main magic that people manipulate aside from from the Antari blood magicians is elemental magic. Uh, the elements are earth, water, fire, air, and metal and bone. Um, Red London's king, King Maxim, was known as the Prince of Steel, um, and that's what the prequel um, graphic novel is based off, the him as the Prince of Steel. Um, because Sounds of talent cool. to manipulate this element and his like sold his reputation as a, a very good soldier, so um, he's also known as the King of Steel, which is just cool. Um, the Antari commands that we know um, in the books that are given to us. So there's as Athera to grow, as Pirata to burn, as Illume to light, as Orense to open, as Anase to dispel, as Hosari to heal, and as Travaz, which is the most important one, to travel. Um, this They sort of seem to be based off Latin, but not entirely. Um, and then White London's magic is different from Red. So Grey London is widely reputed to have no magic left at all. Red is has lots of magic, um, so they still have, they use the elemental magics. And then White... Uh, doesn't have much magic left so it says in the book magic did not come here come willingly here the language of the elements had been abandoned when they ceased to listen the only element that could be summoned was a perverted kind of energy a bastard of fire and something darker corrupted so their main uh, use of magic is more like it's sort of equivalent to like lightning i suppose but it's all they can use there's no other form of magic left um because magic is dying and then the inhabitants. So we've already sort of talked about the Antari. There are three across the three books. Kel and Holland, who, um, who are known as Antari from the first book. Lila, who is discovered to be an Antari. She's told at the end of the first book that she has magic, but she doesn't know that she's an Antari until I think the second or third. 
There's normal magic users, users in Arns and Macht. Um, Alucard Emery is the main one who springs to mind. So he's he's a pirate, and then he ends up being consort of the king. So I think he's it's pretty cool. He's doing pretty good in life. He sounds like my kind of character. Yeah, he's a he's a really cool guy. <laughs> he's a cool guy. <laughs> um, the rulers of Arns are the Marash family. So there's King Maxim, who we've already talked about, Queen Amira, Prince Rai, who is um, sort of considered Kel's brother, even though Kel doesn't necessarily think of the rulers as his parents. He does consider Rai his brother. And then there's Kel. Um, so he sort of adopted like Loki in the first Thor movie, but slightly, with, but with slightly less disastrous consequences. <laughs> like still family drama, but like not as not as bad. Um, there's the rule of Grey London, which is canonically our history. So it's George the Third. George the Third is widely widely remembered for two things: losing the American con- colonies and going mad. So yeah, it's Mad King George, um, and then his son as Prince Regent um, is also George. So this is real. Real stuff, real history. They, they, that's not made up. Um, because of this, that means that Grey London is set in a Georgian Regency era and has that aesthetic. If you don't know what that is, go read or watch some Jane Austen or read some Georgette Heyer and it'll give you the idea real quick. So it's like, you know, Pride and Prejudice sort of. Yeah. You know, Emma. I wish it was more like Peaky Blinders style. That's my favorite London. I mean, it, it, it can, it, it is sort of the steampunk. The, the yeah, the beginning of the industrial revolution. It's it's pre that, but it does have like with Lila and stuff. There is that sort of gritty feel. Like it's not you never see the like the upper class of the of the Regency in Grey London, but it's it yeah. plays into a bit in Red London. Um, the rulers of White London are Astrid and Athos Dane. They are your BDSM nightmare twins. They drink blood and they like whips and chains up in White London. Um, and then also Holland, who is there in Atari. Um, he tries his best and I love him. Bless his soul. Um, but also he's a bad guy. But also like. <laughs> <laughs> but redemption. Um, yeah, sort of. As close as he can get. Um there's, I've given him his own shout out, but there's Edward Archibald Tuttle or Ned Tuttle, who's a Grey London magic enthusiast. He does not have a big part in the first book, but his part sort of grows across the three. There's Oseron, who is the main big bad, I suppose. He is a, he's Black London magic gains sentience. So he's an Ashok, a creature which manifested directly from magic. He came into being in Black London and tried to be the world's god. However, his actions backfired and led to Black London's destruction. But with the possession of an Antari host, he can do all the bad magics and um, re-attempt the god thing, but not in Black London, in other Londons. Um, and then there's also o- Ojka. Uh, White London names are really hard <laughs> to say. Um, she is called the Messenger. So she's a an, an artificial Antari created with um, Oseron's power in White London. And therefore, she's not like her. Like the main thing I remember about her, she has like red hair, and her black eye bleeds. Oh, it's damn creepy as hell, but also awesome. There, yeah, there's a, like a live action version of this would be gnarly as, but I'd be all about it. Yeah, it, if as long as it would had lots of money to spend high production. Yeah, years, they couldn't. They couldn't like PG it down. They need to make no. it. They need to make it. Like you need to go all out. It needs to, to be MA. Probably. Yeah. I mean, you could probably get away with M. 
Oh, yeah, in terms of the romance, it's not the it does have like a little bit, but like not a lot, which I love. Like <sighs> like you know Kel and Lila are going to get together, but they never really do. And I'm sort of into that. Where it's sort of like, you know, we'll get there, but like it's not we're not gonna write about it in the book. And it's like oh, that's not important to this story. Yeah. It's like they've got chemistry, but that's not important. It's like, yeah. yes, I like that. Stop yeah. trying to make it happen now. And they're like really good at uh, the author's like really good at choosing the moments where she's like, We'll put a little bit of romance here, but then we're gonna we're gonna go back to the normal stuff that you care about. <laughs> but here's a little bit, just so you know what's happening. Yeah. It was really good. Um their society, so as I said, like so many fantasy settings, it takes place in a historical pastiche. Because Grey London is actually historically based in the Regency era, it colours all the other Londons with this saying because it's the same years in all of the Londons. So it's it, they all have this Regency era vibe by association. But it also means that it's London. Like they're all London so in some way they connect to what we know about London. So like when Kel talks about the night market, we just pick picture a more magical London night market. Um, and if you haven't been, you just picture a magical night market. <laughs> I'm sure you could like a night market. We know what that is. Um, I am familiar with the concept. Yeah, exactly. So it's like Kel's talking about the night market. You're like, I know what you're talking about. Oh, that's cool. You know, magic stuff, whatever. But you're also just like... Just sort of like a farmer's market, but with more magic. And at night. And at night. There's stars and stuff. Nice. Um, Yeah. So, and it's not, unlike most fantasy, it's not medieval, which is really nice because we sort of get used to that, um, which is why um, I really like this book series and also anything by Brandon Sanderson because most of his stuff is not based in a medieval world either. Um, Each London has a monarchy um, except for white. So both red and grey are based in a primogeniture format. It runs from father to son. So Rye inherits the throne after Maxim. Um, George inherits the throne after George. And in white, it's different because it's so it's quite a cruel world and magic is dying and people are sort of going crazy because of it. Um, it's a bloodbath, three for all Game of Thrones style. Whoever wins gets the crown until they get killed and then the next person has a has a crack and then they get killed and then so on and so forth so so forth um in a small spoiler at the end of the third book holland's death and his sort of redemption at the end potentially signals an end to this because magic begins to return to white london at the end of that so you know presumably a, a better like it will allow like the world to become kinder and a better ruler i mean it's been but it's been fucked up for a while so like <laughs> the likelihood of that happening you know reasonable it's optimistic story, view, though, but it's like, like yeah it's it's sort of like well the world will start to heal and then people will start to heal and then they can hopefully have a better ruler at some point another thing about their society that you need to know is that red london loves to party they love to get down um Book one is one of its minor and then becomes a major plot point is the planning for Rai's birthday party. Um, and at one point, Kim Maxim is like, I remember it's a birthday. It's like not not like a birthday and night, certainly not a birth week. But Rai's going hard on these party preps. Um, so he, has, he, end, he ends up settling on a masquerade and it happens at the end of book one. So it contributes to traditions that we recognize i mean everyone knows the song masquerade from phantom of the opera right best song ever banger paper faces on parade correct so masquerade balls um 
are mainly feature are mainly known because of the carnival carnival season, um, which you would know if you've also played Assassin's Creed. I just did that mission. Yeah, I had <laughs> I yeah I took your advice and I bought the three pack and I basically finished the, the first game. Anyway, Damn. so they're a feature of the carnival season in the 15th century, and they involved increasingly um, elaborate. Um, you know, pageants and processions and everything. And, like, if you had a marriage during the carnival season, it would be huge. And as a whole, carnival is a Western Christian festive season, um, and it occurs before Lent. The main events typically occur during February or early March, and it involves public celebrations, including events such as parades, public street parties, and other entertainments, with some elements of circus thrown in. Um, you wear elaborate costumes and masks, which allows you to sort of, you know, go like put your work away and go outside and just have some real cool party times and like express your individuality without people seeing you. So they can't be like, oh, you're a lady, what's her face? Or you're a wash lady, I don't know. <laughs> um, and people often, you know, went hard on the liquor and the meat and the other really good foods that they're going to have to give up because Lent's coming up and, you know, they're Christians, so they have to do that. Not like not like now where we'll just drink all year long and especially now we're in isolation. Mm-hmm. Make your own carnival in isolation. Just drink, put on a mask, wear a fancy dress, have some fun. Isolation carnival, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's where the masquerade sort of comes from. So when they have the masquerade, I was like, ooh exciting masquerade it's just okay i really care about that song from phantom of the opera okay it was really <laughs> positive so good well they're all yeah it was great in the live stage show anyway um another part of their society or at least mainly red Lo- red london the other londons don't get to participate uh, but they have what's called the s and task or element games which is basically the magic olympics sounds dope yeah so it's um a competition where you fight against other magicians to prove your skill from across all of arms and, and you win stuff. Yeah, I don't you don't rem- seem very confident in what you win. I don't remember what they win. I really just started rereading the second book. I remember that Alucard Emery wins, which I was like, hell fucking yeah, Alucard, you're the best. Um, not sure why he's named Alucard, considering he has no relation to Dracula. Just a cool sounding name. But yeah, I was. I remember that, and I know it happens every few years, years or so, but... I looked at the timeline and it was like two years, four years, three years. I was like, is there no no structuring for when this happens? It's just whenever they feel like it. It's like, you know what? I'm feeling it this year. Let's I'm do bored. it. Let's do it. <laughs> Who won last year? They can host it. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, that's cool. I th- and that would be a really good, going back to the potential for this to be like a really good TV series. That would be so cool because it's like a major part of book two. It just was the idea of like people just competing. It's sort of yeah. like, think of like Avatar and like their bender fights. It'd be like that. be pretty sick. All right. Um, history. So as I said, there's a legitimate timeline for this series, which is wild. So the events of all three books take place from October 1819 to March 1820. It's a busy year. Yeah. During the, not even. Not, not quite even. Yeah. Um, and it's ju- during the Regency period of Grey London. So the Regency um, of the titular Regency era lasted nine years from February 1811 to January 1820. So it's just slightly out of that. 
1810, George III was taken seriously ill and declared incapable of ruling because he kind of, well, he went mad. Um, he had some mental issues. Um, and the Regency Act was passed to make his son George Prince Regent. Um, it lasted until George III died and then the Prince Regent George became King George IV. Um, and then they didn't need the Regency Act anymore because he was king in his own right. Uh, as I said, the Regency is described by authors such as Georgette Hay and Jane Austen. Um, they describe it as a period ruled by elegance and etiquette, and it is a romantic world full of balls and jewels, Corinthians and debutantes, Almacs and Vauxhall Gardens and rakes reformed by love. Um, I've read a lot of Georgette Hayer. I would say that that is all exactly what they talk about in the books and pretty much all they talk about. Like there's no, there's no seedy underbelly in Georgette Hayer books. But Sounds like a lovely time. There is a little alive. bit in these ones because um, Lila comes from Grey London and she's, she's a thief. She's got knives. Many of the... <laughs> Thieves love knives. Yeah. Man. She, she loves her knives. Um, and she's, she doesn't mind killing people. Like she doesn't love it, but she doesn't mind it. You know, look when you come from the seedy underbelly, you got to get used to it. Yeah, you got to collect knives and be willing to kill people. Yeah, and uh, dress like a man. I was, I was also deep into that. She's, she's like, people think I look like a boy. She's like, I will look like a boy, and I'm like, hell yeah, Lila, <laughs> wear those coats because you know the coats were so much better than the dresses women had to wear. Yeah, boys' fashion was so much cooler. So in terms of like the history of the four worlds so they used to be connected to each other via doors um when black london's magic started going crazy and basically eating people and destroying the world red london closed their doors on both sides pretty early on to protect themselves um so because they're sort of next to each other um, Red London's sort of like in the middle. So they closed their doors on Grey London and White London. White London was right next to Black London. So Red London was, I'm taking preventative measures. We're closing these now. Fuck you, White London. <laughs> Which meant, uh, you know, following that, that White London started to, they had to, they had to close their doors. Um, but they started dying and Grey London lost all its access to magic. Kel says in the book, at time at that time, White London was strong, stronger than even Red, and the Red Crown believed it was the only way they would all survive. Grey London receded into quiet obliviousness. Red not only survived but flourished, but White London was forever changed. The city, once glorious, fell to chaos and conquering blood and ash. So, not a great move on Red London's part. I mean, they, 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 they uh, took care of themselves. Yeah. At the expense of other Londons, but you know. Well, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't sure. No. Um, after this, um, only the Antari could cross over and less and less Antari began appearing in, um, the, in the worlds. So by the time we get to these books, there's only three left and they thought there was only two, Holland and Kel. And but Lila is Grey London's one, but they didn't know that. So really only two, but. Grey London managed to haul some magic together and push it all into Lila, and she's an Antari. Kel, the the Antari that the books are mainly focused on, I guess. Kel was born presumably under a name with initials KL to unknown parents. The only thing he has from the life with his parents is a knife with those initials on it, which is what his name Kel eventually came from. 
Um, after he manifested as an entire, his parents sold him and he was adopted by the king and queen. He was given the name Kel Marish, which is their last name, and became becomes basically he's basically risen to the level of a prince, but he he doesn't feel, I suppose, accepted by the family or like he is really their kid or that he is really a prince. But in in terms of like society structure, he's a prince. Yeah. And at this time, once he's adopted, his memories of his life before are sealed using forbidden magic, which he assumes that the king and queen sanctioned. At one point, a group called the Shadows abducted Rai, his brother the prince. I believe Rai was 13 at the time and Kel was 14. Um, and Kel sort of went after them um, and he had to heal and save Rai, who was basically dead. And it sort of traumatized Rai for life. So Kel, um, but Rai sort of pardoned the group that took him because he's a he's a good prince. And Kel was like, "You do that," and then he went and murdered every one of them in secret, like a, like a good older brother, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> like any older brother should. And at some point, in terms of Lila and why people don't know she's entire is that in some point in her childhood, her entire eye was removed and she now has a glass eye. So that's why it takes Kel about three books for, to, for him to realize. But also Kel's a bit dumb. Ah, all right. Likeable, but dumb. <laughs> like many fantasy books, this, uh, this series does have its own sort of languages. It's not as extensive in Tolkien, but then again, what is? Um, so in Arns, they have Royal, the language broken between kings, which is English. So a lot of it makes sense that a lot of books in English because English does exist, and also English in Grey London is just English. Yeah, you can't really be like English doesn't exist, but Grey London is the same as our London. Yeah. It's like well, then English would exist. It's sort of the same. It's yeah, it's a bit complicated how the Londons work. But um, and then they have Anisian as well, which is there. I suppose in D and D terms, common. Uh, we are always given in the books the translation of Anisian when they speak it, unless it's not important in which case they just sort of leave it. And according to the wiki, it's partially inspired by Turkish, but it's not. it doesn't have an include, included glossary, so it's not like we can sort of break it down. And I don't know Turkish, so <laughs> we usually get – it's either given you – it either gives you the translations or it gives you sort of like a feeling of the word, like the vibe. Like if it's an insult, Lyra like will be like, you just insulted me, knives out. Also a good movie. Um, <laughs> nice reference in there, yeah. subtle. Oh, I wasn't intending it. It just came out. <laughs> uh, so White London, Macked, also has its own, its own language and doesn't speak English at all. So its kings and queens have a translation rune on their bodies so they don't have to learn. They don't see the point. In terms of how the language is written, it seems vaguely Scandi, like Scandinavian or German, but I only get that because there's a lot of umlauts <laughs> in the words. Like there's so many umlauts. Yep. I mean, yeah, German has a lot of umlauts and Scandinavia has a bit too. Yeah. So I was like, and also the names are kind of, they they feel, they have that sort of feel, but like it's not specific. But yeah, just umlauts everywhere. It's like umlaut, 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 um, for the little we get of Mac and the language. Um, there doesn't have much mythology, lore and legend in this one. There's only really two. And obviously one is Black London because by the time we get to these books, in, in the history of the worlds, it's fallen into myth. Um, he Kel believes it happened roughly around three centuries prior, and in the prequel it does say it happened, they closed the doors about 200 years ago. And I am going to do a little reading 
from page Ooh, reading. seven because it's a book and I can. So it's not like a TV series where I can be like, watch this episode, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. Best reading voice. I'm ready. Okay. Hang on. I'm going to taste some water. Can't do it on a dry throat. Okay. The world sit in balance, said Kel. Humanity in one hand, magic in the other. The two exist in every living thing, and in a perfect world, they maintain a kind of harmony, neither exceeding the other. But most worlds are not perfect. In grey London, your London, humanity grew strong and magic weak. But in black London, it was the other way around. The people there were not only not only held magic in their bodies, they let it into their minds, and it took them as its own, burning up their lives to fuel its power. They became vessels, conduits for its will. And through them, it twisted whim into reality, blurring the lines, breaking them down, creating and destroying and corrupting everything. Lila said nothing, only listened and paced. It spread like the plague, continued Cal. And the other three remaining worlds retreated into themselves and locked their doors to prevent the spread of the sickness. He did not say that it had been Red London's retreat, it sealing itself off that forced the other cities to follow and left White London in between their closed doors and Black London's seething magic. He did not say that the world caught between was forced to fight the darkness back alone. With with the sources restricted and the doors locked, the remaining three cities were isolated and began to diverge, each becoming as they are now. But what became of Black London and the rest of its world, we can only guess. So that's the story of Black London. So that's, they don't actually know what's left of Black London in the first book. And I can't really remember how, how, vividly it's described in the third but basically yeah black london's it's basically fallen to myth for them like they know it exists they know the doors are closed and they know they shouldn't open them but you know it's not to the to some extent people probably wouldn't some people not necessarily Kel or like the royals but some people in these worlds they like gray london doesn't even know other londons exist so other people would be like black london oh, that's not real <laughs> so it's just that's their main, I suppose, founding historical sort of myth. The only other one is in Macht, so White London. They have this legend called the Sunday King. The Sunday King is a figure found in various stories and legend in Macht. He is said to be the king who someday will be able to save Macht um, by bringing magic back. And in the end of the third book, when Holland's body is returned to, to white London by Kel in his death. He actually fulfills this legend and starts to bring magic back. So it's actually a really nice end for Holland, but also I didn't, I really didn't want him to die. Um, so I have a lot of complications. Sometimes that's the only redemption for a bad guy. I know. I, I know. And I understand that I do. I just, I don't know. I vibe with Holland so hard, even though we are nothing alike. <laughs> we have no similarities in life. So, the philosophy, worldview, and themes. This one's interesting because it's not really, it's not straight-lined good versus evil in the way that a lot of the ones we've talked about otherwise have. It's more like good magic and bad magic and how you should use magic and what using bad magic does to you. Um, So it mainly surrounds, like, the corruption of power. So, like, Kel says a lot to, like, he says it to Rai in the books, like, Rai doesn't have much magic aptitude, if any at all, really. And and like he's like, I feel like I should have that because I'm going to be the king. And Kel's like, magic doesn't make kings good. 
Like it might make them fine, but having magic and having that power is more likely to make them bad. So it talks a lot about how having that power can corrupt you and how that corruption can be either a choice, like it sort of is for Astrid and Athos, or it can be sort of subliminal, or it can be because you don't have a choice, like Holland. <laughs> Judy and Freedom is also a really big one. Um, if I could put in a song request for this moment, it would be Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. It's a huge theme in the book is having to stay and wanting to go um, and be free and do your own thing. Um, Lila's a really good character who has like sort of the idea of like uh, freedom and then also but like I suppose like negotiating freedom versus like friendship and good decisions versus staying alive and then obviously Kel has a big thing about duty and freedom because he is basically owned by the crown brotherly love between Ryan Kel huge thing so adorable um, and lovely and I mean, it, may, it means they make some bad decisions, but <laughs> as it should, because it's a <laughs> book and things need to happen, but adorable nonetheless. I was going to write something about Holland, but when I tried to sum up all my thoughts and feelings on Holland, I couldn't quite get a sentence out, so I just wrote Holland. You just wrote Holland. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I can't... I think, I, I think at the end of the episode, everyone understands what you mean when you just say Holland. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, we get you. Yeah, also, everyone <laughs> should read these books. And I'm not saying read it for Holland, but if you don't, like, you probably don't understand how I feel. But if you read these books, you will. You will understand. But yeah, I, yeah, I meant to have a sentence there, but I couldn't fit it all into a sentence. No, it's fine. It's too just... much. And there's too much of him. He's so complex. I was just like, his name. Just Holland. Just Holland. <laughs> That's all you need. Also, it's a great name. How good How good is Holland as a name? It's a cool name. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't have anything else um, planned for this episode. I think Holland is a good, good end, end point. A good end point. Um, it should launch you off into being like, why, why is Finn so crazy? And then you'll read <laughs> these books and then you'll understand. Or you'll be like, Finn's just crazy. Yeah. And that's fine. You're allowed to have that. But at opinion. least you've done your research. Yeah, at least you when know. When you say that. Yeah. You come at me with a with a valid opinion based on <laughs> based on actual books <laughs> that are out there that you can read. Also, I do want to say before we finish this delightful chat, um, which is so delightful because I don't think I've spoken to anyone else who wasn't my dogs <laughs> and my parents in quite a while. I do want to say that we currently have one rating on iTunes <laughs> and I don't know how many listeners we have and I don't really want to know but if you are listening can you can you pop something in there because it's starting to make me sad <laughs> five stars I'd like to keep the trend going but just pop something so yeah, when yeah. I look at it I know you're liking it yeah give us give us a bit of feedback and then if you like it be like you know go to like one friend and be like hey yeah i think you'll like this well like and then they tell a friend and go then, to you know. go to spiky trap and when the episode comes out share it to your wall and see who's interested you don't have to yeah. talk about it with anyone you don't have to own up that you're listening to this shit but <laughs> you know we do post we do post you just got to share it and then show us some get it out there in these hard hard times yeah make it make it feel like it was worth it <laughs> The dedication. I mean, I don't do anything for this show, but like, you uh, up and that's enough. There is a word document that I can see is a lot of work and effort. So, uh, <laughs> appreciate not. it, y'all. 
but we can pretend it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so much work, guys. I spend so <laughs> much time on this. I wasn't rereading this book anyway. Went out of your way to reread this entire Absol- series. Absolutely. I wasn't going to do that anyway because I don't I have a lot of time because we're in isolation and don't have a job. But, anyway. Uh, there is a series there to read if you would like more yeah. of this. Um, there is apparently a timeline available that will be in oh, the uh, description. Just, yeah, that's that's that was mainly for me when I was doing this thing. But you can you can you guys can have a look yeah. at the timeline. Tells I'll chuck you, it down there in the links. Why not? Tells you how it happens from eighteen nineteen to like eighteen twenty. <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. If you if it's like a good companion to reading the books. Yeah. So yeah, while you're in isolation, you've got. I think you've got two jobs to do now because I assume you've already watched Avatar and the Mummy at this point. And if you haven't, what are you doing? You can leave, I guess. <laughs> Not before you leave us a review first, or like you can't, review. you can't really leave us a review, but also like get out. Okay, <laughs> go away. Um, yeah, you've got two things to do now. You can, you need to watch all fifty episodes of The Untamed on Netflix, and I expect you to do so. And you have to read the Shades of Magic series by V. Schwab and. Like, you're in isolation. I, I understand some people are still working, but, like, you can figure it out. You've got time. <laughs> figure it out. You've got time. You can't go outside. So Yeah. Do your homework. <laughs> this is yeah, your homework. You're... Not all podcasts come with homework, but this one does. Uh, it's a, it's not homework. It's a um, aggressively put forth suggestion of how you spend your time. Required reading. Not Because everyone knows it at uni that, like, they say required reading, and you're like... Oh, maybe I will. It's not, yeah, it's required reading, but you don't do it. You know, this is suggested reading, but you do have to do it. Yeah, so it's like the opposite. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) And uh, with that, uh, thank you for coming and uh, indulging us this week. And uh, thank you, Finn, for walking us through the uh, shades of magic. Running us through at a very fast pace. Mm, Very creative name. I don't know if anyone picked up on it. The the cities are named different colors and the title's Shades of Magic. It's different shades. I don't know if anyone picked up on that very well. I did. To be honest, I didn't pick on that. (laughs) (laughs) Look, honestly, uh, the author might not even picked up. It's just a cool sounding name, but I think think it's meant to be there. Yeah. Um, And if you're looking for the first book, it's called A Darker Shade of Magic, just so you know. The Shades of Magic is the series. A Darker Shade of Magic is the first book. Yeah, and if you find uh, like a darker shade of grey or something, completely different Don't, book, stay not, away from that one. Not, not <laughs> what we're talking about. Not the one. Different one. Different. Very different. Very so different. be careful I mean, when you're looking. You might still enjoy it, but this podcast won't make sense. No, it will not. <laughs> you, you will be like, what is going on? <laughs> and uh, with that, we will see you next time. Thank yes. you for coming and listening. Bye. <laughs>